All right. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the LeedsCon podcast, our first in 2023. I'm Ian McRae, and I head up content here at LeedsCon. I hope everyone's refreshed and ready for all the challenges and opportunities in the new year. And while there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to transpire in the next 12 months, one thing is certain. The LeedsCon team will be here to ensure that you're prepared uh, for all of the transformations occurring across uh, the lead generation landscape. Uh, and yes, uh, please, if you haven't already, take a moment now to register uh, for LeedsCon 2023, which takes place uh, at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas uh, from March 13th to the 15th. Uh, but today, we're thrilled to be joined uh, by one of the many industry experts who you're going to get to hear from in March uh, with 25 uh, years of experience in digital marketing, data solutions, and lead generation. Uh, Carl Renelt is the Director of Marketing uh, for Visitors Coverage, an award-winning leading-edge insurtech company in the travel insurance industry. Carl has worked for companies such as Infogroup, Penton Publishing, and Plymouth Rock Assurance, leading the lead generation, paid media, and email marketing strategies. He's uh, provided B2B and B2C uh, leads as a publisher for CPA Networks, as well as the property and casualty insurance industry. Uh, so, Carl, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Ian. Glad to be right. here. Excellent. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Carl, you're going to be joining a panel discussion that is going to address how to gain a true assessment of your lead gen capabilities. That's a challenge today. It's a perplexing challenge for today's marketers uh, in particular. Uh, marketers love data and analytics. They're typically intuitive and tapped into all sorts of metrics and assessments. Uh, so uh, starting broadly, um, why is it so hard for marketers to get that honest assessment of their own lead generation ca uh, capabilities? It's a great question. It's one that I ask myself sometimes as well. <laughs> so um, I think what you have is you have two school thoughts. I think what you have is you have uh, your traditional marketers. Um, you have what I like to call the new age marketers. So your, your traditional marketers are the marketers that um, learn um, marketing as both a science and an art and the convergence of both science and art. And then you have your new age marketers, which are marketers where it's almost been separated. You have the art and then you have the science. The science sits in the marketing group, uh, in the uh, analytics group, and the art sits in the marketing yeah, I think what's going on is um, it's not so much the data itself, but the interpretation of the data. Yeah. I think that overall, um, you know, if you're just working with numbers and you're just looking at numbers and you don't understand the art aspect of it, how do you recommend or suggest or give any kind of outcomes to a team who? may not be able to decipher that information, right? Because you're looking at numbers. And then you've got the marketer, the creative, who's just looking for analytics to give them, what's the next thing I should do? And let me go and let me execute and let me put it together. Your traditional school of thought took both together. And so now you actually have is when you have a marketer that has both a grasp, a little bit of analytics, doesn't have to be an analyst, but have a little bit of an analytical, um, analytical uh, state of mind and has a creative and, and has a creative aspect of it, you can look at those numbers coming from the analytics department. You can simply understand what questions you need to ask and where they may see something 
incorrect, you may actually look at it and go, no, that makes total sense. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's very that's very true. It's just kind of different, uh, you know. I suppose different uh, different perspectives there, and along those lines, you know, so much of what marketers uh, do relies on that on third on partnerships and third parties. Um, uh, and that could bring up a challenge uh, in its own right. Getting that transparency, uh, uh, whether we're talking about technology or data, can make this whole process very difficult. Uh, is that something that you've seen? And if so, uh, what are some of the ways uh, that marketers can think about this or perhaps approach this a little bit differently? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, third parties, uh, you know, vendors, lead generators, um, you know, they're both a blessing and at times they could be a challenge. Um, what's really going on there is you've got what I like to call vendors and you've got partnerships. Vendors are the vendors that are coming in there and they're looking to basically take your money. They're looking for the short sale. They're looking to upsell you as much as possible. And they know that you're not going to stick around very, very long. Yeah. Right. Then you've got partners. Partners are those that have stake in the game. They have stake in the game just like you have stake in the game. Your success is their success. Now, what happens is transparency is actually uh, very interesting because you don't really get true transparency either relationship, right? But you get a little bit more transparency when you work with a partner versus a vendor. Um, but the problem with transparency is if you're not getting true transparency, you're not getting to consistency, which means you're not getting to quality. Mm -hmm. One of the recommendations I would give there is um, within your organization, try to create a lead generation infrastructure, a small team that can help balance some of that out. Because you're always going to have vendors that are going to come in there. They're going to look great. They're going to start giving you those quality leads up front. You've got your lead buyer going in there going, wow, these guys look great. And they're giving those quality leads up front. Um, and then once they get comfortable and everybody gets comfortable, you start seeing the lead quality start dipping. And that's because they took those publishers that were bringing you the leads, the quality leads, and they pushed them out to someone else to get them kind of uh, uh, on a longer contract. So what do you do then? If you have a team internally, it doesn't have to be a big team. It could be little two, three people. You have internally doing some internal lead generation. That will help you balance out when that lead quality starts dipping. You have your internal team bringing in the higher quality leads. The, co the combination of the two will help you keep that consistency and balance. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Uh, what about in terms of, uh, can you give, give a little bit more color as to what a successful onboarding um, uh, process might look like? And uh, I know that's, you know, kind of a, 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 a yeah, a bit of a abstract or maybe even perhaps too uh, too far in the weeds. Uh, but is there is there something, one tip that you might be able to share with our uh, viewers that might be able to uh, 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 give them a little bit better idea of, uh, of what you might do uh, internally with your onboarding process uh, to to help you maybe better better assess uh, that dip in quality from the first few weeks uh, to you know uh, 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 to those uh, that middle of the relationship, middle phase of the relationship. Yeah, I think so. You know, the first few weeks, I think it's very very important when you bring on um, uh, a vendor to understand 
their source. Understand how they're bringing them in. So they're not going to divulge that. They're not going to tell you, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm getting it from this company, getting it from this company. And in this space, unfortunately, there are resellers of resellers of resellers of resellers, right? Um, and so what you really need to do is you need to understand overall how they bring in. You have some lead aggregators that focus uh, a lot of their lead their leads on paid search. You have some lead aggregators that sit on a database, an email database that they hit constantly. Why do they do that? Because at the end of the day, those are people that they know every six months, every year, they're shopping for that same product. You know, let's take, you know, car insurance, for instance. They're shopping for car insurance six months every year, right? Um, you need to understand that. You need to understand what type of, 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 of client you're getting in. Some of the ways you can do that is some modeling. Um, you can get your data analytics team that you want to trust here <laughs> and get them in there and start doing some modeling. Start bringing them in. Start uh, modeling it up against your high-tier high tier, uh, customers. Understand where they sit in terms of lifetime expectancy to determine the full quality of them, right? Those are things that you can do at the very beginning, right? You should have those models in-house. Can you now apply it to these leads coming in? Forecast out what that quality is going to be uh, over time and then hold the vendor responsible as you go. And that's going to take just like, a, you know, it's just like a marriage. <laughs> it's going to take some ups and some downs and, you know, someone getting angry, someone not. But at the end of the day, it needs to be a partnership. You can't let it become a vendor relationship, but a partnership overall. Get them to get their stake in the game. Absolutely, Carl. That's uh, that's great insight. Uh, switching gears a bit. Um, the insurance industry has been at the edge of innovation uh, in lead gen, and it's a very cyclical business uh, that's tied to uh, uh, various broader economic factors and consumer trends. Uh, so from the macro view, uh, there's been plenty of turbulence and change on those fronts. Um, but how have your marketing efforts and approach uh, to lead generation shifted over the past 18 months or so? Can you talk a little bit to that? Absolutely. So I'm going to answer this uh, and kind of in, in two directions, uh, because I'm going to answer it in my the hat I wore before where I'm at now, which is the PNC space. So car insurance, home insurance. So I think in that space, it did become a real challenge. I think, you know, pandemic came into play that affected the economy. Right. Um, and what did we see? We saw at the very beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> we basically saw a whole bunch of people not driving. And that is in a car insurance dream right for you know geico progressive all these guys that's their dream right let's get people to pay us and you know risk is down here etc um and so they made a good amount of money back and what did they do in some cases they gave some of that back to the consumer other cases they may have not uh what percentage they get back is a whole nother conversation to be had um fast forward to the year two what did you start getting people got locked locked in their homes, they needed to get out, they wanted to breathe, they wanted to do that. So now all these people that haven't been driving for a year got on the road. When they got on the road, if you were out on the road around that time, which I was, I had to go into my office, um, what you saw was some very, very serious accidents. So not only were you getting more accidents, but now the accidents were more serious. Yeah. Right. So now you have these people haven't driven for a year, all of a sudden go out there and just go crazy 
and started yeah. driving crazy. So now it became kind of a a, a kind of flip flop for the uh, for the insurance providers, and instead of making money, they were losing. Money. So how did they address that? I think that's really something important to 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 kind of look into. Um, the way they address that is by managing. Um, going back to what I said earlier, lifetime expectancy. You're managing your portfolio of customers, right? So in that type of scenario, you are looking more for that conservative driver, right? Um, how do you get that in the insurance space? Traditionally, they utilize things like credit scores, although they don't like to say it, but they utilize things like credit scores. They utilize things like occupation, right? Some states allow it, some states don't. Even the states that don't, they still do it. They just find other ways to do it. Yeah. At the end of the day, those are good indicators of a, a driver's risk. So utilizing those indicators, utilizing your strategy, and kind of adjusting it a little bit where you might spend a little bit more to get these people because they're kind of a, a, a smaller group. So maybe your CPMs go up, right? Things like that. Yeah. You're still going after a more targeted group. So although on the surface, it looks like you're paying more, you are, but you're also getting someone higher quality and you're using that to balance the books. Fast forward into the space I'm in now, travel insurance, completely different animal. Why? Because in travel insurance space, Yes. Did we feel a little bit? I, yeah, we did feel a little bit, right? Because borders got closed. People couldn't travel to certain places. But guess what? People were still traveling. People were still getting on planes, right? And they were still traveling. You saw it on news all the time, you know? Um, so in reality, a travel uh, insurance space has actually really benefited from this because um, it created a new awareness. Yes. You know, we actually did uh, a study recently. Um, over a thousand respondents, random, not customers, just random respondents. And what we actually found is in the last year, we asked them how many have actually purchased uh, travel insurance in the last year, over 50%. That was not the case pre-pandemic. I think if any one of us think you and I, if we were talking about travel insurance at that time. Yeah. You might have even not known what that was for or how that worked. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's educating themselves to do that. So I think travel insurance overall, it's the exact opposite. They're benefiting. They're moving in the right direction. Travel insurance industry has looked to grow to $99 billion business is what they're forecasting by 2030. That's not far along when you're talking about a $19 billion business going to $99 billion business. That's a huge, huge growth. Oh, so yeah. depending on what, what type of insurance you're dealing with, some benefited, some kind of found hard times, but I think overall they all found a way to sort of manage for that uh, economy. And so now we're going into a, you know, a economical, you know, people don't want to say recession, whatever you want to call it, but we're going into some hard times, yeah. right? Um, I think the companies that are going to succeed are those that continue to adjust because no matter what, people still need insurance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you broadened your market from uh, maybe, let's say, uh, pre-pandemic to an exclusive, almost exclusively a more sophisticated, experienced traveler, perhaps more frequent traveler, uh, to now, uh, you know, with with this awareness, uh, the the common traveler, the less uh, the less experienced traveler, uh, where they're looking at travel insurance as a uh, as an option or a necessity uh, for their uh, for their trip. 
that's uh that's yeah it's a it's a terrific opportunity and uh on on the marketing side uh you know, we were we were speaking about this earlier, but with with CD uh, CDPs and DMPs becoming a larger focus uh, in the marketing stack for many industries, uh, how are marketers utilizing um, them effectively to increase uh, their lead funnels uh, and overall lead generation uh, initiatives? It's a great question. Um, I think first of all, we need to understand uh, overall very quickly what a CDP and a DMP is and how they differ, because I think in the marketplace. They're looked at as the same, but they're not the same, right? Um, when you're talking about a CDP, you're talking about capturing behaviors or first-party data, marrying the two together. You person isn't identified till they give you that first-party data. Behavior data sits out here. Eventually, when a first-party data is identified, it gets tied to behavior. DMP works similarly in some cases, but differs in others. What a DMP, what a DMP does is behavior data as well, and it collects that behavior data, but it leverages third-party data. By leveraging third-party data, now when that person self-identifies, you're marrying third-party data with behavioral data. The advantage there is you have more information. You know more about that person. You don't just know what product they clicked on, where they clicked, what their journey looked like. You now know their net worth, their income. Do they have children? Do they like to ski? What do they like to do? When you think of lead generation, what is lead generation? It's nothing more than creating relevant experiences for the consumer, right? At the end of the day, it's getting to then getting to them at the right time with the right message, right? And the right audience. And at the end of the day, that's what a CDP and DMP can give um, at different levels, but they can give you. What the danger with those systems are is they do come with a price tag. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and you also need to understand what, yeah, and exactly. And, and you need to understand what you're buying. A yeah. lot of people like the shiny new car. But if I get a shiny new car and it's sitting in my garage and I'm not driving, I, I used to have a motorcycle. And when I had a motorcycle before I got married, yeah, I was riding it all the time. Once we had kids, my wife was like, you know what? I really not that comfortable getting a bike with you and you really shouldn't be using that much. I started looking at the bike going, wow, this is beautiful. I love it. It's sitting there, but it's sitting there. It's like, that's, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. So what yeah. did I, do? I sold that and I got myself a camper, Thanks. my next toy, but at least my camper, I do use on a regular basis. My wife doesn't have a problem with that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's the point, right? Don't go out and buy that motorcycle. If you're not going to use it, it's just going to sit in the garage. So you need to use it and you need to know how to, write it so you need to know how to use it and you need to do the right research to do that you need to know what you're buying because you're going to be sold a lot of a lot of uh, goods that you may not even need or ever use because if you don't your boss down the road will remind you how much he spent for that shiny new toy that you're not using oh yeah <laughs> you do you find yourself is it uh is it helpful or useful when you uh uh you know if you when you're when you're making that uh, massive of a uh um uh of a of a purchase uh do you assign somebody uh on the marketing team to extract the most value uh out of that tool or technology uh or is it just does it become the responsibility of the uh, you know, somebody like yourself who's heading up the team, or is it? Uh, what What does that look like? How do, How do you really get the most value out of the tools that you're uh, that you're uh, implementing? It's a great question. Um, 
you know, it really depends on your infrastructure. I will say to you that um, I think the marketing team, I'm, I'm very much about collaboration and the team working together. I always tell my, my staff, look, your success is my success. I don't need to look good. If you look good, I look good. If you look bad, so do I. So at the end of the day, um, I think everybody in the marketing team needs to take responsibility for utilizing. I think everybody yeah. can utilize in different yeah. ways, right? Think of it this way. Graphic designer. How can a graphic designer utilize one of these systems? Well, very simply, these systems normally come with some kind of personalization involved in it. Graphic designer, that's a dream, right? Yeah. Being able to put the right image in front of the right person. Hey, if you like cars, right? Um, and this person likes motorcycles, your, 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 your imagery should be with cars. There should be with motorcycles. So everybody should have stake in the game. However, you do have key players, right? Um, when I had, we were running a system like that in my past uh, at Plymouth Rock. When I had a system like that, what I did is I had my social person that did paid social. I had my person that did uh, email. I had my person that did paid display. I had my SEM person, right? I utilized all of them and each one had worse stakeholder in it. My job was to measure that, make sure, along with the analytics group, but measure that and make sure we're getting the, 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 uh, the ROI on it. Yeah. The thing, though, and I think one of the things that really becomes a challenge for the executive team normally is the price tag. Like I said earlier, they're seeing this big price tag, right? But if you look at it through a marketer's eye, you can actually um, – see a price tag that actually can work, right? What are you doing? Well, marketers think in CPMs, in CPCs, in CPQs, in CPSs. When you bring it into that arena and you price it out that way and you look at it from, you know, a CPM, from a CPC, you're really only tagging on a dollar, two dollars, yeah. right? On yeah. it, depending on how much you're pushing out there. Yeah. You would do that with any other solution. Yeah. You know, you're getting sold that through programmatic. Yeah. In the programmatic space, they want you to pay two fifty to rent an audience. Yeah. Right. On top of the 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 cost of actually giving them the display, the social, et cetera. When you tag it all together, it costs you more to do that than it does to use one of these systems. That's that's uh that that's a great uh a, a great point. And I you know, it seems on, along those lines, it, it's apparent just from this discussion alone that marketers uh, do have so many responsibilities uh, to juggle and chief amongst them is really kind of driving growth. Uh, so if we're taking a look at the larger, you know, kind of the larger discussion here, how often should marketers take a step back to measure the, uh, the effectiveness and capabilities uh, of their lead generation strategies and systems? And what types of measurements need to be done on an ongoing basis uh, versus a more in-depth testing and assessment, you know, let's say every six months or annual? Uh, any, any insight there that you might be able to uh, provide, Carl? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would say... Um daily <laughs> right so uh, like a true so i think there's daily there's weekly and there's monthly yeah right uh, and then there's quarter right um i think from a daily point of view you should be um compiling all that information uh putting in some kind of reporting and you need to maintain that reporting on a daily basis yeah. um but you can't be making decisions on a daily basis you need to go further out and maybe look at a weekly or a monthly right weekly is going to start giving you some forecasting for the month 
Monthly is where you're going to say, hey, we need to make this change. We need to make that change. Um, what are you looking for? That's the question. You've got hard KPIs. You have soft KPIs. Going back to the vendors and what we talked about, what do they want to sell you? They want to sell you soft KPIs. Impressions, reach, clicks, all that. Well, take a look at some of those clicks. How many of those clicks are actually showing up in your GA report? Yeah. Right? That's important to take a, take a look at. Maybe 40, 60% of those clicks are showing up there, right? Yeah. So yeah, the clicks sound great, but if they're not making it to your website, those clicks are not worth much, right? So yeah. now you need to really understand what are your true hard KPIs on your end? How yeah. does that turn into a course per quote, a course per sale, or even more general, a course per acquisition? So understanding that and looking at those KPIs, those are the KPIs you're looking at at a monthly basis. At a weekly basis, you're keeping an eye to look for trends, yeah. right? And those trends will start telling you where you're going. What do you do? It's very simple. It's just all what marketing is about. It's trends. You're looking for trends up and down. I always tell my team, if you're going to put a graph on a presentation, be able to explain the high and the low points. Don't just explain the high points because everybody's going to ask about the low points, right? So you need to be able to, to, to talk about you know, either the high and, and, and the low points on it, right? At yeah. the end of the day. So yeah. where it's a high point, where it's working great, double down, just like you're in the casino, double down in that bet. Where it's a low point, pull back a little. And you got to keep on managing that budget up, down, up, down, up, down. Again, it's nothing more than the balance, just like we spoke earlier about your portfolio. You're balancing it because what you're trying to create is consistency no one likes yeah you know q1 i got us a lot of good leads but what happened to the rest of the year right they yeah. want to know that you got good leads across the year so you need to figure out how to balance that and balancing out your budget is a way to do that excellent well you know i did have one more question for you but we, carl we are going to have to cut it short uh just you have given uh this uh our, our viewers so many takeaways I did ask uh, just a heads up to our uh, to our audience and attendees. I did ask Carl to leave a, uh, leave you with uh, uh, one takeaway, uh, but we're going to actually have to uh, uh, save that for March, uh, just uh, uh, due to time restraints. Uh, well, thank you uh, once more, Carl. Uh, I want to express our gratitude uh, for taking the time uh, to join us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and I enjoy being part of LeedsCon. Excellent. Well, once again, tickets are on sale now. Uh, do not wait to register as we've had a record number of early registrations. Uh, so we're really excited about LeedsCon 2023. Everybody's going to be there. Until the next episode of the LeedsCon podcast, enjoy your day.